Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments, and I hope they'll be useful for you. Catherine says, how much is stillbirth rates increased compared to spontaneously conceived post 40 weeks? So the risk of a stillbirth in a normal population, normally conceived population, is probably about one in 500. And compared with an IVF pregnancy, it's probably more like one in 300. It's not vast, but it's higher. certainly makes me counsel patients in a particular way because IVF patients have been through so much and any risk that's above average should be avoided. So that's why I say induce at 39 weeks. Here's another one from the coffers, Prof. Is the IVF done in batches? Do you have an in-house or visiting embryologist? That person is obviously from a place in the countryside. In the city, all the units in Sydney, for instance, don't batch patients. I've certainly experienced batching in the past when I worked in in Europe, where we were traveling down from London and we did do batches of patients. And therefore, we have a visiting embryologist, a visiting IVF specialist. I'm not sure the results are necessarily as good because the quality in the lab is a variable issue. And the advantage in a big city lab is that you know, every day we're looking at fertilization rates, we're looking at embryo development rates. And as soon as there is a minor issue of reduction in their success, we look for reasons why. In the traveling IVF game, you take what you get. And it could be a good week, but it may not be. There are differences and uh, you can be subject to those wide variations. We don't batch them in the city. Some clinics I know use protocols that make sure the specialist doesn't have to work at the weekends using frozen embryos and HRT cycles. They seem to work reasonably well, but that's not really batching in the sense that you're talking about. Here's another one for you, Prof. What can be the side effects or complications that I should be prepared for in IVF? IVF generally has very little complication. We watch very carefully for those. It is incredibly rare. When you're taking the medications, your ovaries are going to be enlarged. So that can produce bloating and certainly some weight gain. One of my uh, students did a project looking at weight gain in a cycle, and, and it certainly does go up by somewhere between three quarters and a kilo, which is due to fluid retention. But by the time uh, a period comes or a, a pregnancy occurs, we've lost that weight. So, so there is some fluid retention. In terms of psychological problems. The stress of going through an IVF cycle is not insignificant. And some women do complain about the increase in anxiety. Uh, It's not due to the drugs. It's just due to the fact that you're desperately trying to get pregnant and we're going through a process to try and get you there. 
At the time of the procedure, so the procedure is collecting the eggs. We're putting a needle through the vaginal wall. And when we put a needle through the vaginal wall, there's always some risks. So the vagina is not a sterile area. No matter what we do to clean it, uh, it is not sterile. So there's a risk of bringing bugs from the vagina into the ovary. The chance of that, however, appear to be less than one in a thousand. It does happen, but it is very, very rare. The other issue at the time of the procedure is we're putting needle through the vaginal wall and through into the ovary, and there are small blood vessels there that we can actually tear and cause bleeding. In the 24, 48 hours after an egg collection, we often get women complaining of pain, but primarily it's due to blood irritating the peritoneum, the lining of the abdominal cavity, and it settles after that time. Rarely do we get more bleeding than that? The other complication, which is now is very rare and much less than it was even five years ago, is something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. And that's where we get the ovaries over-responding to the medication we give you to stimulate eggs. So getting you know, 15 to you know, up to, I mean, the worst, worst I've ever had is 54 eggs uh, retrieved after a stimulation regime. And when you get those high numbers of eggs, the effects of the hormones can actually change the permeability of the blood vessels. And so you get that leakage of fluid into the abdominal cavity, which makes for fluid in the abdominal cavity called ascites and swelling of the abdomen. That also produces changes in your um, blood in terms of the concentration of the blood becomes highly concentrated and some of the um, electrolytes become disorganized. And that can lead to admission to hospital with the pain from the extra fluid in your tummy and the ovaries. The electrolyte imbalance can lead to lung problems. And one can't deny that, you know, around the world every year, there's one or two deaths as a result of hyperstimulation syndrome. So we avoid it at all costs. In Australia 10 years ago, uh, when we were doing something in the order of um, 40,000 cycles a year, there were about 1,000, 1,500 cases admitted to hospital with hyperstimulation. We're now doing more than 50,000 cycles in Australia, and the numbers are down to around 500 in that, that group. So we've improved substantially. And that's because we're using different medications when we trigger the final egg maturation and that has significantly reduced the the incident there are some specialists who still use the old-fashioned regime and unfortunately they're the ones that are providing the highest rates of hyperstimulation but for the average patient that's a rare event and really nothing to be concerned about so that's a summary of all the complications so weight gain at the time of the procedure bleeding or infection, and then the hyperstimulation issue is really the only complications you might get with, with IVF. All of them in 2021 are actually very unusual. So Donna says, for those with low embryo numbers, what are your thoughts on day two or three transfers versus waiting until day five? Yeah, so it's, it's an ongoing debate. Uh, albeit I think most people, I mean, in Australia, for instance, 10 years ago, uh, only 30% of cycles were taken through to the five-day stage, uh, whereas in 2021, something like 80% of cycles go through to day five. Why has that change occurred? It's because we believe that it's a good way of testing whether an embryo is good. So in a 
a high-class laboratory. Those days between day two and day five, we believe, are equivalent to what happens in the uterus, that it's just as good to keep them in the lab as it is in the uterus. But more importantly, when we get to day five, if there is a good embryo, we know the chances of pregnancy are significantly higher than transferring any old day two or three embryo. So that's why we almost 80% of the time moving to a day five transfer. So certainly what I do when I have a patient that has one or two embryos on day three, I still want to go forward to day five because that will tell us how good that embryo is. We cannot tell on day three, two or three how good an embryo is. And most of us do believe that if an embryo gets fails between day two and day five, it probably was going to fail inside you. And therefore, we know what the answer is rather than putting you through a transfer on day two or three, 14 days of wondering and not being pregnant. We know that by day five. So that's why I believe it's better to go for blastocyst transfer, as has the rest of the world. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.